Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. This is Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. And I'm so glad you joined us on this Thursday, August 19th here in Jacksonville, Florida. We want to give a big shout out to our listeners up in Virginia Beach, the Chesapeake, Virginia area, also up in Georgia, listening on 91.3 in Meridian, Mississippi, listening on WMER and in St. Augustine on 91.9. We're glad to have with us today uh, Vody Bacham. Vody is uh, a great gift to the body of Christ. And um, I've had the privilege of getting to visit with Vody several times over the past few years. First met him out in Houston years ago. And um, I just always felt a great affinity toward him because he is a man who will stand for truth unashamed. And uh, he has done that recently with his book called Fault Lines. And we're going to talk about that today. But Vody, welcome to SWAT Radio. Uh-oh. So, Steve, we're not getting uh, we're not getting audio. Sorry, Vody. Give me just a second. We're working on this Zoom here. Uh, I can see you talking, but uh, I'm not getting any audio feed, Steve. So, I don't know if we uh, hold on just a second. We're not getting. Do we have to push this here? Okay, Vody, talk to me now. Let me hear you. Can you hear me? No, no, nothing, Steve. Keep talking, Bodie. <laughs> I don't. We're we uh, we're, we're having an issue with our getting you to speak something. Say hi. <laughs> nope. No, we need Larry in here. Well, anyway, I'm gonna Bodie. I'm gonna pull you out of the the feed till he gets back, and uh, I'm gonna go external and see if people can hear. Uh, and uh, anyway. Um, Welcome to SWAT Radio. <laughs> no. Okay. Wow. Folks, I am sorry. We are just having all kinds of difficulties here trying to get him. Of course, Vodi is in Africa. He's over in Zambia. And that's not a cause of the problem. We're having problems just because we don't do very many Zoom interviews. Uh, this is a... Uh, this is rarely used technology for us, and so we're trying to get it in there. But if you can hold on just a second, I want you to to hear from Vody because uh, he's going to address some of the issues that some of you have emailed about. Uh, you know, people have raised some questions about his book, Fault Lines, and I want him to be able to uh, address that. And so, uh, un- but right now we're having an issue uh, getting the sound to come through. And so, uh, Steve, our producer, is working on it. He can't. No, because he's in Africa. He's in Africa. Oh. We've got to we've got to run him through this, Steve. So, anyway, um, hold on just a second, Vody. We're gonna. Um, where's Where's Larry? He's not here. Okay. All right. Okay, hold on just a second, Steve. I'm going to try you again, Vody. And let me see. Uh, no, I don't want you to call in from Africa. <laughs> That's too much money out of your ministry. I don't want you to do that. That's uh, um, 
Can you talk now, Vody? And let me see if I can get you uh, talk now. He's saying test. It's not coming through. There he is. There it is. It's coming now. You have to put it here. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we can hear you now. Hold on just a second. You got me now? Okay. Yeah. How's Maybe that? I should turn off my video. No, Maybe no, no, I no. Turn no. off my video so that you get better audio. No, that's okay. We've got it. We've got it working now. So uh, we're, you're feeding through okay. the, the, the microphone. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, okay. <laughs> Vody Bacham, just real quick, folks. He is the he's an author, conference speaker, church planner, uh, the dean of theology at African Christian University. He's a voice actor and the 2014 Pan Am champion in jiu-jitsu. Um, so uh, Vody has been involved with a lot of things, but I, 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 you're, if you didn't hear me say it earlier, Vody, uh, I've always had an affinity for some of the things that he stood for. He has been very strong in cultural apologetics, and you see that even in the book Fault Lines. And, and so, Vody, you know, one of the questions that I know is on a lot of people's minds because we've prayed for you and and what you've had to go through in the last few years specifically uh, related to your heart. A lot of people don't know that you've you've struggled with some kidney disease and other things your whole life. So God has sustained you through a lot of medical issues over the years. How are you doing now? Yeah, I'm doing really well. I really appreciate you asking. But yeah, I was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease in my early 30s. So I've been dealing with that for, for almost 20 years. And, um, you know, these heart issues that, uh, that, that came up back in, back in January, um, apparently it's been around for much longer than that. But, um, you know, something that runs in my family, my father died at the age of 55 from massive coronary. Um, my mother uh, had one of the same procedures that I had um, back in February. She had several years ago. So I, I came by it honest. But God was God was gracious, and we had uh, you know some of the best people in the world, literally, um, you know, working working with me and working on me. So you know, we feel really blessed, and I'm I'm grateful to be to be back in this battle. Well, we're we're very grateful that God has allowed you more time uh, here too, because uh, you have been a great gift to the body, as I shared um, that. This issue of uh, critical race theory, you've been, I mean, if you just Google Christian critical race theory, your name will come up a lot because there's a lot of videos of you addressing this issue. And the book came out um, this this year, and it's been a a, a great resource. Uh, Several of my friends have given away many, many copies uh, that I've talked to about it. And one of the things that I have appreciated about the book is you talk about your own story in it, growing up in L.A. in a very tough part of town, which is a, I mean, a, there's a narrative that goes with critical race theory that that the anecdote or the story is stronger than objective truth. And you bring a pretty strong anecdote to it, even though I know that you believe in the biblical truth trumps anybody's story. Um Talk a little bit about that for people who may not know you or, or read the book yet. Growing up in L.A., you did not grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth, uh, benefiting from, you know, all kinds of financial resources. You grew up in a tough part of L.A. Share a little bit about what your life was like for you growing up. 
Yeah, I I grew up in, in South LA, South Central Los Angeles. Uh, I was born in '69, so you know I came of age during the whole crack era, the Crips and the Bloods, and you know uh, these drug wars and uh, all these sorts of things. Uh, I was raised by a single teenage Buddhist mother. I uh, never heard the gospel until I got to university. Uh, but when I got old enough uh, to find a little trouble, or for a little trouble to find me. My mother shipped me out, and uh, we got on a Greyhound bus for three, three, three and a half days and went from Los Angeles, California, to Beaufort, South Carolina, where I spent the next year and a half living with uh, her oldest brother, my uncle, who was a retired drill instructor in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. who, had did, who had done 22 years in the Corps and uh, had done two and a half tours in Vietnam, and I, I got out of trouble. <laughs> he got you out of trouble, didn't he? <laughs> Thank goodness for Marines. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hoorah. Well, when, when you, uh, when you were, um, when you were growing up uh, with that background, if I remember right in the book, you talk a little bit about an affinity or a fondness of Malcolm X and, and that having some influence in your life. We're, were you into black liberation theology back then as a, a high schooler or college guy? No. No, I wasn't a Christian, so black liberation theology wasn't a thing for me. Um, but I was into black nationalism and, you know, very much a fan of of, of Malcolm X and that, that whole wing. You know, it's kind of the Martin Luther King, um, you know, peaceful protest, nonviolent wing. And then there's that Malcolm X you know, by any means necessary, mm-hmm. um, kind of wing. And, and I was more, I was more, you know, in the black nationalist vein of things, very anti-white, mm-hmm. uh, very pro-black, um, very Afrocentric in, in, in my understanding of things and in my approach to things. Uh, even when I was a new believer, you know, I was still wearing t-shirts with, with, with Malcolm X and, and whatnot, you know, as a, as a new believer. Uh, because even as a new Christian, uh, I, I thought that my identity as a black man was more significant than my identity as a follower of Christ. Um, that that's just that's just the way the world worked in my estimation and understanding. And it took a while for me to to move beyond that. Isn't that isn't that really oh a driving force behind critical theory? Um, and that's why it's so anti-gospel in the sense that your identity under critical theory is based more on race than anything else, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, critical theory really looks at the world through that oppressor-oppressed lens and divides people up, and, you know, based on their various identities um, so the the idea of intersectionality um, is the primary outworking of that, where we look at ourselves not only through the lens of our race and ethnicity, but also through our sexual orientation and our, you know, uh, immigration status and, you know, all sorts of other, you know, I- ideas. Um, but all of it is really divisive in terms of causing us to look at one another uh, through those lenses, as opposed to looking at us as individuals. 
Yeah, and you know, even in your book, I mean, uh, early on in the book, you talk about the fault lines um, because you grew up in California where there were earthquakes, and a fault line is a is explain a little bit about the title of the book and a fault line and your your experience growing up in California. Yeah, um, you know, fault lines are these sort of fissures in the earth where where plates you know come together. And there's movement along those plates. Uh, it, and a fault line is a place where that movement occurs. And the result of that is, is earthquakes um, and other kind of seismic activity. And I experienced an earthquake or two uh, growing up. So as I looked at what was happening in this whole social justice movement within evangelicalism, um, that imagery really kept coming to mind for me. Uh, I had this, this, this idea of the earth moving beneath our feet and people being on either side of a fault line. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when, 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 when it really ruptures, um, it, it, it will divide the earth in two mm. in particular areas. And there will be chasms that, you know, that, that divide. And that's what I see uh, when I look at uh, the, the critical social justice movement within evangelicalism. Um, you know, when I wrote the book, I was warning, warning about a coming catastrophe. Um, but now, you know, all these months later, it's not a coming catastrophe. It, it, it's a current catastrophe. It's here. We're seeing churches divided. We're seeing, um, you know, universities and ministries and families um, really divided over these issues. Yeah. And you mentioned in the book, and we've seen it, um, people like David Platt. Tim Keller, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think. There's a guy in in Dallas, you you know, who Matt Chandler, Matt Chandler, and others. Mark Deaver. I mean, people that you typically would think would be fairly conservative in their views of Scripture, uh, holding to you know things that that uh, you and I would wholeheartedly agree with, who are becoming more what the world would call woke or, or like woke light, uh, you know, David Platt, for instance, apologize for his white privilege, you know? And I mean, I, to, to hear that, it sounds like he's been more influenced by some of these CRT books than the Bible in that regard. And I know, you know, David Platt and you've, you've been around David Platt before. And I think his heart is right because he wants to do right things. He wants to care for people. I don't think any of these people have bad motives, but talk about the danger of that and getting away from the sufficiency of scripture and dealing with it. You bring it out great in the book, but for people who may not have read the book, uh, talk about the danger of these, of the leadership of our churches buying into CRT, even in a light way. Yeah. Critical race theory is an ideology that is antithetically opposed to biblical Christianity. Um, it, it is very religious in in nature, and it is a false religion. Um, but the problem is that much of its terminology sounds good to Christians. Um, things like social justice. That just sounds like a good thing. Racial justice. Um, you know, anti-racism. I mean, who in the world is, you know, going to hear the word anti-racism and think, you know, no, nah, I don't want any of that, right? Yeah. 
Uh, black lives matter. You know, what am I going to say? Black lives don't matter. Um, and so a, a lot of this has to do with, with terminology. It also has to do with accepting some of the premises of ideologies like critical race theory. For example, if you accept the first premise of critical race theory, the idea that racism is is normal and that we define racism as, you know, uh, unequal or inequitable distribution of rights and privileges and so forth uh, as systemic and structural. Um, if you accept that and you accept the idea that disparities um, automatically prove um, discrimination and racism, now, all of a sudden, you step into a situation where you're making snap decisions and wrong assumptions um, based simply on the fact that you've accepted some premises that aren't correct and that aren't biblical. Well, so that, I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of people. What? what? I know because you run in these circles of a lot of these leaders, you see them at conferences and you're around them. Are you able to talk to them about it? Do people ignore it? I'm just curious because so many leaders have fallen into it. And I know, uh, you know, I was talking to Tom Askell, who's at Founders Ministry. Tom was our guest a few weeks ago. There was a huge, huge deal at the Southern Baptist Convention about this, you know, back two years ago where they passed that resolution and um, and then they wouldn't even hear about people trying to condemn CRT. They they went through and do it. I mean, how, how are you personally seeing people deal with it at a leadership level? I mean, that, that's really interesting to me and I, I think would be interesting for our listeners to hear. How are leaders, are they interacting or are they just kind of going their own way? and doing what they want to do. You know, it's been interesting to see this work out uh, within relationships. There are some individuals who have really just sort of broken fellowship. There's some individuals that, that, that don't talk to me anymore. Um, there are other individuals who absolutely know that this stuff is wrong, and they'll tell you this stuff is wrong. They get it. They see that CRT is wrong. They see that you know, the critical social justice movement is wrong. But what they'll say is, but my brothers and sisters of color are really hurting. And pastorally, I want to be sensitive to that. Um, you know, there are people who are, you know, identified as woke, who are identified as being in the social justice camp, who absolutely do not believe that stuff, but for the sake of holding on to relationships and for the sake of not offending, um, you know, their, their black and brown brothers and sisters, um, they straddle the fence and they, they, they carefully use, um, you know, some of that terminology, even though they absolutely do not believe it. Uh, which, you know, in my estimation, is about as racist as you can get. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to ask you following up on that then. Let's say you're my pastor, okay? Yeah, Because you have been a pastor. You were a pastor in Spring, Texas for a long time. And you, I don't think you ever stopped being a pastor. You may not have 
you, you, you have a pastor's heart. You have a shepherd's heart. So here yeah. I am. I'm in your flock, and I come to you, and I say, I have a brother or a sister on the other side of the fault line. You know, they're in my family, or they're in my circle of influence, and they believe what you just said. They don't believe that they don't want to be racist, but they want to be sensitive to their brothers, but they end up promoting. How do I deal with that? How do I personally deal with that? Do I confront them over it? Do I just say, hey, you know, I'm praying for you? I mean, how would you instruct your flock to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, as a pastor, yeah, I, I always instruct people to recognize that relationships are not paint-by-number kits and that there is no way, quote-unquote, to deal with people who hold to various positions. It's kind of like when you're dealing with people who are in cults. You know, mm-hmm. you say, I've got a friend who is a fill-in-the-blank. What do I say to them? Well, your friend is an individual, right? Your, your friend doesn't believe or even understand everything that that institution teaches. Mm-hmm. So what you need to find out is what your friend actually does believe. And so that's the first thing. We need to engage people and find out what they actually do believe. Okay. Another thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we're clarifying and defining terms mm-hmm. because, you know, somebody will say, you know, justice or racial justice. I, I want to know what you mean by that. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times you'll find out that they don't know what they mean by that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to know what you mean by that. And then the third thing that I always tell people is w- when you're engaging in this, make sure that you're operating in a way that's fitting to the relationship. Mm. For example, if you and I have a relationship and we're very direct and blunt with one another, then it's fine to be direct and blunt with you. And we've built up, we've built up capital with one another over the years. And we just, we can say things because because we know that the love is there, right? Yes. But if you and I don't have that kind of relationship, then I don't need to go at you like we do, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in, in that instance, I, I I made I made the I may need to be careful, you know, like like a woodpecker with a head, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we gotta we gotta recognize where the relationship is, and I think one of the things that one of the mistakes that we often make. And because I get emails from people all the time who are like, my friend is ABC, XYZ. What do I say? Right. Um, and, and we hate, you know, we hate hearing advice that says it's not that simple. It's not you know? that cut and dry. It really is. Yeah, yeah. It depends on what your relationship is. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not that cut and dry, you know. And I think one of the things that we're finding out here is that our relationships are not as strong as we thought they were. Mm-hmm. For example, you've got people who have relationships across racial and ethnic lines, and they would have said a year ago, you know, some of my best friends are, you know, fill in the blank. But then the minute something happened and they didn't go along with the narrative, that person dropped them like a bad habit. Mm-hmm. 
because the relationship wasn't what they thought it was. It wasn't authentic. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing right now is that there are many relationships that weren't authentic. I think the SBC is seeing that. You brought up the SBC in Resolution 9. The SBC is seeing that because there are a lot of uh, of pastors, a, a lot of, you know, uh, black black pastors and, and and Hispanic pastors, so so they're leaving the convention, right? Yeah, they're leaving the convention because there's because there's disagreement over this issue. Mm-hmm. You know what that says? That says that there weren't real relationships in the first place. If you run the first time, you get offended. It wasn't a real relationship in the first place. So I think we need to really recognize that. The way we approach this comes down to the relational, the relationship capital that we built up and how authentic that really is. That's really good. I, I, I have not really thought about that, uh, but I want to I want to re- read them back to you to just make sure I got that. First, find out what people really believe, uh, engage yeah. with them. Second, clarify and define the terms. We're about to go to break. We got a break for the news on the half hour. I want to talk about that because in a video one time I saw you, I think, or uh, you you said, I don't think that means what you think it means. It's from a movie. Yeah. And I want you to talk about that when we come back from the break. Uh, And then the third thing is make sure that you are operating in a way that is fitting to that particular relationship. Those are the three things, right? Yeah. that's Yeah. That's really helpful. And good, and I appreciate you sharing that. And before we go to break, I wanted to give people a chance to hear um, how to give. I mean, uh, we're, we're already there, but I wanted to tell them about your website, vodibacham.org. That's V O D D I E B A U C H M.org. You can go there and buy any of Vodi's books. He's got expository apologetics. He's got uh, really good books on shepherding your family shepherds. And his newest book is Fault Lines, what we're talking about. You can go there. And uh, you can also find out more about his ministry at African Christian University. Uh, You can go to acu-usa.com. You can donate to that. We're going to be right back after the news. And uh, we're going to have more of Bodie Bauckham. Sorry about those problems, Bodie, early on, but we got them going, and it's been a good half hour. And uh, if you can stay with us through the break, we're going to come back and talk a little more, okay? That's good. All right. Hey, you're listening to SWAT Radio. We'll be right back. They say sometimes you win some. Sometimes you lose some And right now Right now I'm losing bad Stood on this stage Night after night Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's uh, Doug McCary of His Light Ministries, and I'm so happy to have my brother, Vody Bakum on the air today with me. He is uh, zooming with us from Zambia. Please pray for Vody and his family. Vody has nine children. Uh, first of all, I've got eight, so if he's got nine, he desperately needs your prayers. I can speak from experience. Uh, he's about to have another grandchild, and so uh, I know those things weigh on him. He is a man who loves God, 
who loves his family, that believes in the discipleship of family. And um, uh, he's got some great resources. I'll tell you real quick before I bring him on, if you go to his website, vodibacham.org, uh, uh, Vody's website is, uh, he's got a book on there that was very helpful for me, and it's called Family Shepherds, and um, and another book called What He Must Be. And those two books, I think, were very helpful for me personally, Vody, uh, just in thinking about shepherding my family and, and what the guy that wants to marry my daughters needs to be. Between you and Tommy Nelson, I think it was – Tommy gave a good talk with the Song of Solomon series, and between that, your book and his series, it was really helpful. So you can go to his website and get those. And, you know, before we went to break, I, um, I, I mentioned I don't think that means what you think that means. I, I can't remember the movie. Is it Prince's Diaries or something like that or Prince's Bride? Princess Bride. Yeah. Princess Bride. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you shared that. You were talking uh, about the terms. And I, could you explain a little bit about that? Because I know, like you said earlier, who's against, um, you, who doesn't want to be against racism? Although I don't believe in racism, believe in ethnic prejudice. But who who doesn't want to be for justice? And so talk a little bit about how their people who are promoting this are using that on the playing on the sympathies of Christians uh, because yeah. we don't really understand terms and we don't clarify. Yeah. The, the term social justice, for example, it, it, it means if you, if you look it up, you're right. Oxford dictionary, the English language or <laughs> any of the, the, you know, prominent dictionaries, social justice is redistributive justice. Social justice is about the reallocation of resources the reallocation of privileges um, within a given a given society. But most Christians, when they use the term social justice, that's not what they mean. But that's what the word means. Uh, when people talk about racial justice, for example, um, when people refer to racial justice, they're operating on the assumptions of critical race theory. And the assumption is that racial injustice is disparity. So if there is a disparity uh, of of any kind, then that is in and of itself injustice. So when people start talking about racial injustice and fighting racial injustice, what they're talking about is redistribution, right? Mm -hmm. What they're talking about is using the power of the government to get rid of disparities between groups, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so th- th- those are just two examples of the problem of, of of language in this whole discussion, in this whole movement. But isn't what you just said, isn't the redistribution or reallocation, or I've also heard you say earlier, you said, use the term, I think you said inequity, uh, because that's the big thing now you're hearing. You know, you never heard inequity 10, 15 years ago. It, it was equality, but now it's equity. That That's the term being out there. And right. the only place that I saw equity in the Bible was it, as it relates to God's justice for everybody. That was it. I mean, that's uh, so, yeah. you, you know, so when I when I hear these terms that you're talking about, the first thing that pops into my head, because I've been I made 50 or 60 trips to Russia is communism. 
I think about Marxism. I think about the the collective state when all you talk about that, which is anti-biblical. All of it is anti-biblical because God doesn't operate under those kind of standards, does he? No, he doesn't. And it's interesting that, you know, the most equitable society in the most equitable country in the world in terms of wealth distribution is Afghanistan. Really? <laughs> I didn't so, know that. Yeah. Yeah. They have the most equitable wealth distribution. Of course, everybody's dirt poor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it's, but it's equitable, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting how, you know, if you if you really want to get, you know, because equity is about equal outcomes. It's mm-hmm. not about equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. When you have equality and equal opportunity, you are going to have inequity because there are people who have different gifts, but there are also people who have different priorities. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there are going to be people who will work 60 hours because that's their priority. There are going to be other people who won't work more than 40 hours because they have other priorities like family or, you know, whatever. And so the person who works 60 hours is going to make more money than the person who's only working 40 hours at the same job. Right. Yeah. But that's not inequity. That's two people with different priorities. And one of them has decided that his time with his family is more important than whatever he's going to gain in those other 20 hours. But what we're doing is we're sort of flattening all of this and we're saying, no, no, no. If two people don't have the same amount of income, that's inequity and and it's it's a moral problem. Um, You know, the same thing, the the classic example of that is the difference in income between men and women. Um, You know, that doesn't have anything to do with discrimination against women. It has to do with choices that women make Mm -hmm. uh, and priorities that women have in the workforce, which is why when you talk about men and women who have never married, women actually make a little bit more than men when you compare women who never married and men who never married. So, you know, the problem is that these things are oversimplifications. Mm -hmm. And, you know, using terminology that sort of twists the meaning of of words and then using oversimplifications, um, you know, these things will always lead you astray. Am I saying that there's no racism or ethnic prejudice? Uh, absolutely not. not. I mean, we all know that, that that those things exist. But there's a difference between saying that those things exist and saying that, you know, America is inherently uh, and irreparably racist and has been from the word go. Um, that That's something very different. And ironically, America is arguably the least racist multi-ethnic country in the world. Well, you um, you mentioned in your book um, about the impact on Christian leaders of a particular book, and um, I, the name of the book strikes me now, but you talked about Mark Deaver, I think, being influenced by it, and David Platt maybe being influenced by it. Um, and it was a book that a lot of people were recommended to read within the church on this issue. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Divided it. by faith. Yes, divided the by faith. Is, yeah. And yeah, it, the book is divided by faith. Yeah. Why is? I mean, and I know uh, from past 
conversations that we have, you believe in we reading widely. You 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 believe in reading people that differ from you, and maybe have you know. I don't think you have a problem with reading Mein Kampf or other books, the, you know, the Quran, whatever. Just to read widely, it, it doesn't mean you buy into it. But this particular book was embraced, I think, by certain evangelicals and allowed to influence them more than probably biblical sufficiency. And that was what I was getting from your inference. Am I wrong on that? Or, or were you not inferring that in that, that when you were talking about that? I don't think I necessarily argued that it was influencing them more than biblical sufficiency, but the, the book was very influential. Um, and it was, you know, really passed around and lauded, and a lot of the guys who began to say things and began to preach messages um, that that weren't exegetically sound, but that were really hammering home, um, you know, these ideas, they they openly admitted that this was the influential book. In fact, I think I, I allude to the fact that in the book at the T4, T4G conference where David Platt preached his, you know, uh, you know, famous sermon from Amos where he, you know, went, went off the beaten path uh, mm-hmm. to do, you know, the, the, this, this whole sort of, sort of woke stuff. Um, and then Ligon Duncan, and, you know, issued similar statements and apologies at the same conference. And both of them acknowledged the significance of the book divided by faith um, and 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 how it influenced their thinking in this particular area. Well, D- uh, D- but that's just that's just one of many. Well, Devereaux said that uh, it it may have the most exciting results in your life when he was describing that book. Yes. And what I mean by being more influential than the Bible, in that uh, my understanding of that book is that book lends itself to CRT more than it does to biblical truth. Am I wrong in that? Um, it's very much influenced in that, that vein. Even though yeah, it's written I mean, by, from an evangelical perspective, supposedly, right? I mean, like... No, it's not. Oh, it's, it's not written from an evangelical perspective. It's, it's a sociology text. Okay, so it is um, sociological. So it's yeah. not, it doesn't claim make any... So, so here's no. the thing. Why are we, I don't know, I, I again, I don't have a problem with reading outside of Christian books and reading sociological books, but it's leading people to elevate the voices of CRT, which I, I think we can agree that CRT is anti-biblical, right? I mean, the, 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 the premise of CRT is that you judge people by the color of their skin, not by what's on the inside of their heart. Is that right? Is that is that a broad oversimplification of that? Uh, Maybe it may be a bit. <laughs> okay. Maybe. All right. Well, you can correct me. I, I defer to you. You're the dean. Go ahead, dean. So so explain to me then. Let's 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 dissect that a little bit then. Like when I think of CRT, red flags go up because. Everybody I've heard talk about CRT, it, 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 it relates to uh, oppressed and oppressors. It relates to people being judged by what class they come from, whether they're from the 
LGBTQ community or whether they're oppressed women or whether they're oppressed by their color of the skin. The CRT is about um, things on the external, where in my mind, when we talk to people from a biblical perspective, it's about the internal. Christ was concerned what's on the inside of us, not what happens necessarily on the outside, except as it's influenced by the inside. Is that is that yeah, wrong? The other, thing, the other thing that we need to keep in mind is critical race theory comes out of critical legal studies. Mm. It is very much an approach to the law. Um, and, and so, of course, it's going to be antithetical to the biblical gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh because it, it's a tool that was used to train lawyers um, in dealing with the American legal system from this perspective. Um, so, I mean, from the get-go, this is something that's going to be incompatible with those of us who are pursuing the, the, the truth of the gospel. They're, they're thinking... Um, and operating from a perspective and from a starting point that has nothing to do with what we're talking about in terms of the importance of the gospel. Well, well we just got a question from one of our listeners. What, what's the sense of how the black church community feels about CRT? Uh, you said that pastors want to be sensitive to our black brothers and sisters, uh, but is the black community in the church really buying into CRT? From your perspective, I, I'm always leery. I'm always leery when somebody asks me what the black church <laughs> is doing. Yeah, um, yeah. There's no such thing as what the black church is doing because there's no such thing as the black church. Um, black people are not a monolith. Um, that that kind of question takes us right back to the CRT categories that looks at people based on the color of their skin and then categorizes an entire group of people but because of the color of their skin. I mean, you're going to find people, um, you know, on all sides of this, uh, regardless of, you know, you know what, what color they are. And uh, there are churches that are predominantly black that are very much in this vein, and there are churches that are predominantly black that absolutely oppose this. And one of the things that's been interesting is that as CRT is being promoted in the school system, and you see these school board meetings happening, right? Um, you see black, brown, <laughs> you know, everybody, all sorts of minorities yeah. who are railing against this ideology. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it would be, you know, fair to say that there is a yeah, black church uh, position on this. Um, you know, d- does this tend to divide, um, you know, pretty clearly along racial and ethnic lines? Yeah, it, it, it does. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see more people um, in, in certain environments that will hold on to this than others. But by no means is it universal. Uh, well, um, okay, you know, sometimes you see on uh, the news or different programs, they do lightning round, you know, where you get like one minute to answer or two yeah. minutes to answer. Okay, yeah. I want to do a lightning round. We've we got about 10 minutes left. So the first question, the first question, oh, is charges were made that you plagiarized your book. 
uh, are excerpts from your book, uh, and those charges were put out there to try, I believe, to discredit the book and uh, discourage people from getting uh, the book uh, called uh, Fault Lines. Uh, respond to those charges specifically. I think they related to uh, a guy named Richard Delgado. Was that it, or was that what I think that was the uh, James, to James, James Lindsay related to James Lindsay? Oh. Here's what's interesting: nobody argued that I plagiarized the book. Nobody argued that I plagiarized sections of the book. The arg- the, the the charge was that I plagiarized a phrase in the front matter of my book, a phrase <laughs> that was the charge. Okay, but they used the word plagiarism in order to inflame things because right now in the SBC, Ed Litton, the president of the SBC, has, you know, been exposed as having plagiarized dozens, if not hundreds, of sermons, preaching other people's sermons, using their illustrations as his own. But he's a pro, you know, social justice guy. Mm -hmm. The guy after him who would be president if he was forced to step down is a black anti-social justice guy. So people have not been interested in seeing Ed Litton step down because of his plagiarism. Uh-huh. So they they take me, right? I just published the book that's a national bestseller that's, you know, a, you know, hitting this thing head on. So what do you do? You say, well, Vody committed plagiarism in his book, right? And you just put it out there as Vody committed plagiarism. Then, of course, when people read the fine print, what they find is that basically the guy's making a couple of charges. One, that there was a section in the book that looked like it might have been a direct quote, but it wasn't. And then the other is that there's a phrase in the book that's similar to a phrase used by James Lindsay. By the way, and you I gave him credit. Didn't you, didn't you give him credit? I, for yes. I <laughs> quote him a number of times in the book before and after that. So why on earth I would take this phrase and not want to give James Lindsay credit is absolutely baffling. So this had this had nothing to do with, you know, what, what was happening with the book. And it had everything to do um, with with people trying to divert from a, a real discussion about the issues. Well, I, I, I read Wokeness in the Gospel by uh, or Christianity and Wokeness, I mean, by uh, Owen Strand and your book. Owen's book was written to me more academic, like and for your book, yeah. I think was written more to somebody like myself who's a layman, somebody out there, yeah. you know. And I think there's a difference when you're writing in an academic environment. You footnote everything. You you you. I mean, he's got as much articles underneath on the bottom as he does in the body of his book, yeah. and so. I, yeah, yeah. I, I personally appreciated the way you wrote it because I thought it was much it was much more user friendly out there for people, although his book was good as well. OK, second question. How did you go two minute elevator speech? How did you go from pastoring in Houston to Zambia with your family? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had an opportunity to come to Lusaka and preach in 2006. Uh, went home. My wife asked me how the trip went. And I told her, I think I want to be buried there. Hmm. Um, I went back almost every year for the next eight years, and eventually an opportunity came up um, as the Reformed Baptists of Zambia began to work to start the African Christian University. And, you know, long story short, um, God finally called my wife 
And with within a year, we were on the ground here helping to get the university started. With all your kids in a country that has intermittent electricity and water and everything else, how, how did <laughs> how did living in that country change your perspective and your kids' perspective on life, everyday life? I know it did. It you had know, to. It's one of the reasons that I chose to write this book. Uh, the fact of the matter is black people in America are the wealthiest, freest, most prosperous black people on planet Earth. The black people who live in the rest of the world would give anything to live in the United States. But to hear people talk, you'd think that America was the last place that black people want to live to live. And the fact of the matter is living outside of the United States has made me more grateful mm-hmm. for America than anything else. And this is not the first time we've lived outside of the United States. I'm not saying that because I live in a third world country. When we lived in England, um, I had the privilege of going and studying at, at Oxford University. When we lived in England, I was grateful to be an American, right? I mean, even living there in another first world country, it just it made it, it abundantly clear that it is an inestimable privilege mm. to be a citizen of the United States of America. I, I'm grateful um, that 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 God saw fit in His providence mm. to have me born and raised there. If if uh, next question, if you were to think about any passage in the Bible or passages off the top of your head that that talk about ethnicity or a way to view our ethnicity through a gospel lens, what pops off the top of your head? What passages? Immediately, Ephesians 2, the second half of Ephesians 2, um, you know, and also Galatians 3. Um, you know, these are, these are passages that just immediately, you know, come to mind. Yeah. I, I thought about it, Ephesians 2. Uh, Galatians is also a good one. Um uh, one other question related to uh, living in Zambia, the difference in the pace of culture there versus the pace of culture in America. How has that impacted you personally yeah. as a minister? Yeah, I think things in the U.S. move at light speed. You know, um, nothing happens fast here. When we first moved here, that one of the pastors here said to me, listen, if you want to make it here, you need to understand something. Where you come from, you're surprised when things don't work the way they're supposed to. Here, we're surprised when they do. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if it's like this. It was this way in India. Over in uh, in India, if you said, hey, we got a meeting at 2, nobody ever got there at 2. Everybody showed up at 2.30 no. or 2.40. Is that is that the way it is over in yeah. Zambia, too? Yeah, there is there's Zambian, there's Zambian time. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, I had a follow-up email, Avodi, uh, on the first question. He says, since black people are not a monolith, why are the pastors using, and he quoted, being sensitive toward the black community as an excuse? He's talking about, you know, guys like David Platt or others. Why, why are they using that as an excuse to let CRT influence what they are saying, especially if they have said that they don't believe CRT? I mean, so I, I don't know. That was a good follow-up, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not that they're saying 
you know, sensitivity to the black community. They're talking about sensitivity to black acquaintances. Oh, okay. Uh, so in other words, so in other words, if you have black staff members at your church mm-hmm. or black elders or, you know, whatever, um, you know, who, who, who are embracing these ideologies. Um, if you are a church that is multi-ethnic and, you know, some of your members, a, a great example of this is like the George Floyd case. Mm-hmm. George Floyd happens and people, you know, just immediately were like, here it is. This is the smoking gun. You know, this is the evidence of the, you know, overwhelming systemic racism and so on and so forth. Well, that's what people were responding to. They're like, wait, okay, people are hurting. People in our circles who are not like, you know, who are who are from different backgrounds than us. I shouldn't say not like us. Yeah. Um, they're hurting and they're seeing this differently than we're seeing this. That's what people are being sensitive to. Not you not know, a whole community. Not a whole yeah, like a whole. Thing. Exactly. I got exactly. You. That that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, listen, our time we we're down to our last minute, and so I just wanted to take a minute to thank you, to tell you again, thank you for the book fault lines uh tomorrow is our friday kind of free-for-all day so if you're listening today you call back tomorrow i'm going to be giving away copies of that book to people that call in and uh Vody, i just thank you for your ministry uh we appreciate all you're doing i want to let people know about your website one more time they can go to vodiebacham.org that's v-o-d-d-i-e-b-a-u-c-h-a-m.org they can order fault lines you can order many of his other books again family shepherds is a good one also what he must be and also his expository apologetic book is incredible and uh, then if you want to support uh, african christian university you can go to acu-usa.com give you can donate to Bodie on his site as well thank you for listening we'll be back tomorrow with more swat radio have a good evening If you missed a SWAT radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT radio is strengthening spiritual